Welcome to Berlin Christian Church, where our mission is to make more and better followers of Jesus Christ. My name is Michael Hennon, and I have the privilege of being one of the ministers here. And a lot of you already know this, but I'm kind of a weirdo uh, because, for lots of reasons, but because I used to love tests. I was one of those kids in school who loved taking tests so much I wanted to compete with everyone I could in our class and try and get the best score. Now, when I turned 20 years old, I was working for a company called ProSeal, and what we would do at ProSeal is we would spray a rejuvenating oil on asphalt to make it last longer. And so we'd spray the oil on the road, and then we'd have someone with a sand truck, typically my brother, and it would shoot sand onto the oil to make it not quite as slippery, and then we'd come in with a sweeper and sweep that off. And that's what we would do and try to get to as many roads as possible in a day. Well, my job typically was to just like close off the road, put the signs up, put the cones out, and that was my job. I'd just stand there in the blazing hot sun and just make sure people didn't do anything stupid. Well, for us to be the most efficient we could be, we needed two sand trucks, two sand truck drivers. And so one was my brother James, and my boss wanted me to be the other sand truck driver. The only problem with that is that to have, to be a sand truck driver, I had to get my class B CDL. And there's two parts of that test. The first test is a written test, which I knew I could ace, no big deal. I know how to study, not a big deal. But the second part of the test is a driving test. And before you even get to driving, you have to do a pre-trip inspection where you talk about all the different things about the truck. Now, um, I knew I could pass the first, the written test, but the driving test, I knew I would fail because I know pretty much nothing about mechanics and I'm not mechanically inclined. Guys like Sam Militello and, and John Wyatt, they've been patient with me and gracious with me and tried to help me do stuff. But I know they just think in their heads, this guy knows absolutely nothing what he's doing right now. And I, I get it. So uh, I tell my boss this. And he says, you'll be fine. You're a good talker. You'll figure it out. <laughs> All right. Well, that's what we're going to do then. So uh, I, I go, I take the written test, pass that with flying colors. A week later, I go to take the driving test and I get my instructor. We go out to the truck and he's basically like, just tell me about the truck. What are you looking for? The tires look good. I mean, kick them. The air in the tires good. Uh, flip the blinkers on. The blinkers look fine to me. Uh, you know, the transmission, fluid, oil, grease, drive shaft underneath. I'm just making stuff. I've, I have no idea what's going on. So after about five minutes, I just hop in the truck and I say, you want me to turn it on? The instructor doesn't even look up from his clipboard. He says, no, you, you failed. <laughs> don't, don't start the truck. Okay, (laughs) I failed that test bad. And the truth is, is that when it comes to my life, there will be other tests and trials that I face that I will also not pass as well. We live right now in a world that is full of tests and trials. We live in a time, there's a diagram up here, we live in what people call the already but not yet. So Jesus has already come. You can see that with the cross. Jesus has come his first time and he has lived a perfect life. He has died on the cross for you and for me. He has risen from the grave. He has ascended up into heaven and is reigning right now as king. And that's what we're celebrating right now at Christmas. But we also know that Jesus is going to come back again. 
And when he does, he will completely wipe out all the evil and the pain and suffering. And those of us who trust in Jesus, we will spend eternity with him. And those of us who don't trust in Jesus will spend eternity separated from him. But in the meantime, we live smack dab in the middle, in between the cross and the crown. That's where we live. And right now, we face many tests and trials every single day that will either help refine our faith or ruin our faith. It will help us to grow in our relationship with Jesus, or it will help tear us away from Jesus. Today, we are continuing our series through the book of 1 Thessalonians. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn them. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, and we are getting ready for the second coming. And so the first week we talked about how Jesus is our rescuer. Last week we talked about how Jesus is our Lord, Jesus is our King, and today we are going to talk about Jesus is our strength. In the midst of our trials and tests, Jesus is our strength. And so the question that's going to kind of focus our time together is the question, what can we learn about trials until the end? What can we learn about tests until Jesus comes back? In First Thessalonians, Paul is writing to this church in Thessalonica, and they are new to their Christian faith. And so he is afraid that they are going to face some tests and trials, and it's going to ruin their faith. And so the first five verses that we see in First Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, it, we learn that trials or tests can either ruin or refine our faith. Look with me at verse 1 through 5. It says this, So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. Almost said Athens, because Illinois is getting to me. Uh, We we sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by your trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. And so Paul is writing to this church and he is so worried about them because they are new to the faith. We know at this point that they weren't even two years old in their relationship with Jesus. So they were babies in the faith. Janelle and I, we have some best friends, the Bonds, James and Whitney Bond. They have an eight-month baby. Eden is her name. And anytime we go over to their house or they come over to our house, one of us is like all like protecting her because she's strong enough to stand up, but she has horrible balance. And so if she doesn't grab onto something, she's going to tip over and fall, and we got to try and protect her, right? Well, Paul knows that these Christians are like babies. It would be very easy for them to fall down in their faith, for when they face trials and tests to fall down. And so Paul is so worried that he sends his beloved worker, Timothy, to go encourage and strengthen them and to see how they are doing. And in these first five verses, we see for our lives, a couple different lessons when it comes to trials. The first is that trials are inevitable. If you look at verse 3, it says that the followers of Jesus were destined for some trials. They were destined. It was inevitable for them to face trials. 
I think this is important to point out because there are some Christian teachers that say when you become a follower of Jesus, when you come up out of that baptistry, everything in your life will prosper. You'll prosper financially. You'll prosper emotionally. You'll prosper in your health. And the truth is, is that actually a lot of times when we become Christians, we face even more tests and trials. In fact, Jesus, in one of the last days of his life, John chapter 16, verse 33, he's talking to his disciples and he says to them, in this world, you will have trouble. That word there for trouble is the same word as trials in our passage. In this world, you will have trouble and trials, but take heart because I have overcome the world. We are promised by our king that our trials are inevitable. And during these trials, they will either refine our faith or ruin our faith. Verse 5 tells us that we have a very real enemy who is tempting us, trying to ruin our faith. If you go back uh, to chapter 2, verse 18, you see that this enemy, this tempter, is described as Satan, the adversary. And Satan wants nothing more than to ruin the Thessalonians' faith and to ruin your faith and my faith. And so uh, we actually hear that this tempter, he comes to Jesus. In Matthew chapter 4, this is just after Jesus has, uh, he was baptized. You see the Holy Spirit come down like a dove on him, which means he's anointed as the king. He's about to begin his ministry. He's the beloved son of God. But before he begins his ministry, he goes out into the wilderness where he is tempted by the devil. We hear about this in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And so for 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus is tempted by the tempter, and he is trying to ruin Jesus' faith. He's trying to get him off of his mission, but thankfully Jesus, he never falls into the schemes of the devil. He stays faithful, and we see that his faith is refined. But what I want us to see is that not only does this happen to Jesus, these temptations, this tempter to come and try and destroy their faith, it also happens to the Thessalonians. If you read Acts chapter 17, you'll hear that they faced likely some physical persecution. Because in Acts 17, we hear about some people who helped Paul spread the good news. And when some people who didn't want the good news of Jesus spread, they go into Jason's house and drag him out of their house. And so I think that the Thessalonians likely face some kind of physical persecution. But even more, I think they face social persecution. I mean, I want you to imagine with me that you make a decision to follow Jesus, to, to surrender everything to him. And so you, you go, you decide to get baptized, you go down under the water, you come back up. And when you get up, you look around for your family and friends, and no one's there because your family and friends think you're crazy and have joined a cult and want nothing to do with you. That's what would have happened to these Thessalonians. And the tempter wants nothing more than in those moments to steal them away from the faith, to ruin their faith. Well, I think it begs us to ask the question, how is the tempter tempting you and me? In what ways is he trying to ruin your faith right now? I think for some of us, like the Thessalonians, maybe you became a follower of Jesus and expected everything to be perfect with your life, but when you look at your life, you see that you don't have the job you want, that you've recently lost a loved one, 
that your health isn't the way you want it to be. And that you have these thoughts creeping in that maybe following this Jesus guy isn't worth it. Or maybe for others of us, we have the temptation to not say anything about Jesus. When, when, you, when you're at work or when you're with friends or when you're at school, you have an opportunity to talk about what Jesus has done for you and in your life. But rather than say anything, you decide to just be quiet. You don't want to ruffle any feathers. And so slowly but surely in those temptations, Satan is trying to tempt us and ruin our faith. We have a very real enemy who is trying to ruin our faith. But at the same time, we have a very real God who wants to strengthen us in our faith and wants to use these trials and tests as moments to help us grow in our relationship with Jesus. In another one of Paul's letters, the book of Romans, sometimes considered his best and greatest letter, we hear Paul reflecting on how these trials and tests can actually refine our faith. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, he says this. He says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. That word there for sufferings is the same word as trials in our passage. It's the same word as troubles in John chapter 16. We glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Our trials can either refine our faith or ruin our faith. I was reading through the book of Job recently, and and if you don't know, the book of Job is all about this, this righteous man who experiences suffering. And I was reading a commentary by... Nicky Gumbel, he's a pastor in the UK, and I love what he says about the trials that we face. He says this, he says, strength grows through struggles, courage develops in challenges, and wisdom matures from wounds. When we go through these trials and tests, they can refine our faith. And what we find out in verses 6 through 10, is that the Thessalonians, that their faith has been refined, that they have not given up on Jesus, but have instead stood firm in the Lord. And so the second lesson that we learn about uh, trials until Jesus comes is that Jesus strengthens us through other faithful followers. Jesus strengthens us through other faithful followers. Look at verses 6 through 10 with me. It says, But Timothy has just now come to us from you, and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us, and that you long to see us, just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord." How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. And so when Paul sends Timothy, what Timothy finds is that the Thessalonians have stood firm in the Lord, that the trials that they have faced have refined their faith and not ruined their faith. And so this gets Paul excited and jazzed up. In verse 8, it says, For now we really 
live. Paul, is, Paul felt like he was dead and now is alive because of these faithful followers. I don't know what gets you jazzed up. For me, it's some things like going to sporting events, maybe going to a concert, learning something new. For Paul, what gets him all jazzed up and makes his tail wag is seeing other people who have been in the midst of tests and trials and have stayed faithful to them. Jesus strengthens us through other faithful followers. And so what I want to do today is I want to invite some friends up to the stage, Mike and Cheryl Pippen. Um, They uh, don't feel like there's anything special about their story, but what I want them to know and want you to know is that if Jesus is a part of your story at all, you have an incredible story, and they have Jesus as a part of their story. And so I want to share some of their story with you today. Give them a round of applause as they make their way up here. <laughs> well, thank you, Mike and Cheryl. It's very humbling to have you up here and uh, to have vulnerability and honesty to share part of your story. And so just briefly, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about your family, how long you've been married, uh, how many kids you have, what, uh, how long you've been going here to BCC, how long you've been following Jesus, basically all 25 of those questions, if you. I do want to preface this by saying that uh, Cheryl and I were very hesitant to do this. We don't consider ourselves to be more faithful than anybody else out here. Um, But we have been through some trials, and I know some of the others of you have, too. So that's why we're up here, just to share um, how we overcame or endured. We've been married uh, not long enough, Uh, uh, at at least 41 years. And uh, we've been uh, attending here... um, what did we figure out? About four years? Cheryl started coming first. Um, I was basically bedbound for about nine months, and so she started attending here during that time. Before that time, uh, we'd been at Westside probably for 18 years or seven. A long time. So. What do you got to add? <laughs> well, we have three children, Emily, Andy, and Katie. Uh, what were the other 25 questions? That was good. <laughs> so, um, talked a little bit about your family. Now I want to transition into just some of the tests and trials that you have experienced as a family. And then... Um, what in in the midst of those tests and trials helped you to stand firm in the faith? We we did norm uh, narrow it down to two really big trials. Um, there were a, a lot of small ones in our marriage. Uh, those are struggles. Struggles, <laughs> yeah. I, those had to do with me being shot at and being undercover. And, 16 
surgeries and 33 broken bones, but uh, I've always been the type of person that it enjoyed living on the edge. And I, I finally had to come to the realization that that wasn't a good thing for a married person to, to do. Uh, but the two trials that are most significant that we thought about was the loss of our son and then the alteration of my lifestyle and uh, how that has impacted Cheryl. Um, our son was in the Marines and he went in in 2004. Um, uh, early 2005, we uh, were starting to worry because we knew he was going to Iraq in September, that his unit was, as a combat engineer. And uh, he had recently got married, and his wife was in Phoenix while Andy was at Camp Pendleton in California, and uh, he was killed in a, a motor vehicle accident. Apparently, he was going back to the Camp Lejeune after staying too long with his wife, and he was timed it just right, but he fell asleep. And he and another Marine, uh, Andy was driving, rolled his truck, and broke Andy's neck, and I guess he died immediately. The other Marine uh, suffered a, a broken bone or two, but he survived, so we were grateful of that. So I'll, I'll pass it now to, to Cheryl. How, how old was Andy, Cheryl? He was 19. He and Tessa had been married for seven weeks. So, um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was a big trial. <laughs> So, in the midst of all of that, what, I know you would say, we didn't do everything perfect, you know, we never do, but what were some of the, the things that helped you stand firm in your faith in the midst of all of that? Um, for me, um, at some point in my life, God had just um, given me this passion to read scripture be in the word and um i didn't i didn't read the word with the idea that i was going to need a, this for a trial or a temptation i just wanted to know god better and so um that's what i did and then um there were just one specific time um I had the misconception that um, if you, you know, if you did things right, if you read the word, if you went to church, if you did that kind of stuff, that I don't know. I guess I kind of thought God would protect me from stuff. Um, like you were talking about earlier. <laughs> yeah, just I mean, um, that's the way it worked in the Old Testament. When the Israelites were faithful, then they, um, God blessed them and. When they weren't, then invading armies came and took them out. So I thought, okay, we're good. Um, and then with all this with Andy, I just, uh, I, I, I didn't know what to think. Um, but 
slowly. Um, I remember one day um, I was thinking about everything, and um, in John, Jesus had just finished doing a hard teaching, and um, a lot of the disciples were leaving Jesus because of his hard teachings, and he stopped and looked at the 12, and he said, are you going to leave too? And um, Simon Peter replied, um, you have the words of life, Lord, where are we going to go? And so that was kind of that defining moment in my life where I just thought, okay, I could walk away and forget this whole thing. But Jesus was the only one that promised me that um, one day I would see him again. So I thought, I think I'll stick with that plan. That seems like a good one. Um, So when I read that scripture years before, I never thought I would apply it in that way. But um, just being in the word. And um, during the whole service and everything, um, I just had this immense amount of peace and uh, grace. I am not a gracious person (laughs) by any means. But I was filled with grace, and it was because other people were praying for us. So never negate your importance in praying for people when they're going through tough things. Even if you don't know what to say, just you praying for them is invaluable. Because that's what, I'm convinced that's what helped us get through some of that stuff. So. We even had a friend who... Uh that was right after Andy's funeral was baptized and became a Christian. Wow. Uh, whoever hears of that, yeah. you know, uh, somebody becoming bat or a Christian at a funeral. But uh, Warren was actually the one that, that preached that funeral at Westside, and he did a great job. Obviously, uh, when I, when when that happened. When I first, when the Marines showed up, I was in the Marines too. So I knew it was either Andy was AWOL or it was really bad news. Um, I, I was hoping AWOL. <laughs> and uh, when they told us that Andy was deceased, um, I pretty much shut down uh, for at least a few days. And then I think... God slapped me upside the head and said, you need to be strong for your wife and your two daughters and for Andy's wife. Um, So that's what I did. But we we read almost every book there is on grief and grieving, thinking that there would be a magical formula, you know, in the scripture or way somebody would interpret it. There wasn't. we did we did call and make a lit call i mean take out things from each source and compile a list of things that meant a lot to us and that we thought would mean a lot to others in a similar situation things to do and things not to do uh, there was one specific uh, older ex-preacher who uh, gave Cheryl some 
or quoted a verse and she felt like slapping him upside the head. You know, I, um, yeah, it, it's just, you're better off just being there and being offering to do whatever they need. Uh, sometimes our mouths get us into trouble. Um, I was going to say, leading into that second thing, so we don't stay here all day, but I've always been very physical in the training, like I said, in law enforcement, and uh, I gave up running probably when I was about 40 because of my knees, but then I took up bicycling, rode across the state, just, just, I'd go out and ride hundreds of miles, and um, I was fortunate enough to be able to retire when I was 54. And so one of the things I wanted to do, and it worked out exceptionally well, was that I had a friend who needed a kidney and I wanted to give him one. And we were a match. So I figured, okay, I'll shuck this kidney. And supposedly it's through orthoscopic little incisions um, well, <laughs> they hit an artery when they were mm. taking out my, so I, they had to basically chainsaw me open two places, cutting through all my core muscles. And because of that, some of the prior damage I'd done to my back and things, it just exacerbated that. And... I had to have some surgeries on my back, and I basically ended up as a paralegic almost, uh, bed-bound for nine months. And I'll turn that over to Cheryl. <laughs> he gets all the bad news. Um, I was mad at God when that happened because Mike was in excruciating pain. Um, and there was nothing I could do. I was calling the doctor. I was, you know, it just, it was awful. And um, uh, I was so angry because I'm like, really, God, this is what you have for me? I mean, I've just, you know, I've lost my only son. And now this, I'm really not happy with you right now. Um But over time, God helps you to figure out what he's doing. Um, it's, you always pray that you, know, you want God's best for your life, um, but what your best looks like and what God's best looks mm. like is two, sometimes not the same thing. Um, Sometimes you just have to learn to accept and trust that as bad as this looks, for whatever reason, this is God's best for you. Um, and I can say that um, had we not had these trials, um, I'm sure that my faith would not be nearly as solid. Um, I have seen that because Mike is resting in bed a lot because he can only do so much and then his back just won't let him do anything else 
I mean, he, he texts young men from the mug group to check and see how they're doing. Um, if he had been healthy and riding his bike across the state, I don't think he would have been doing that kind of stuff. Um, he calls and checks on people. Um, he just, he has, I've seen that change and that wouldn't have happened otherwise. And it's like, would I rather have a husband who was athletic and could do all these amazing physical things? Or would I rather have a husband who has a heart for others and is mm -hmm. checking on others and doing, doing things for the body of Christ? I think I'd rather have that one. So um, those are things that don't, I mean, you just don't wake up one morning and go, voila, I figured it out. You got to tell me. I just remembered something, too, that was kind of important. Um, all of my back surgeries, basically, were considered failures. And there was a reason that we found out from a bone density test, finally, that my bones were soft. And the screws and hardware and everything kept moving around. I have two screws that have migrated up into a disc right now. Uh, I've got cages, all kinds of stuff in there. They went in from the front and did all kinds of things and then from the back. Well, we couldn't figure out why. Why would my bones be soft? Well, then, do you guys all see the TV commercials about Camp Lejeune? You know about veterans that were at Camp Lejeune and the drinking toxic water? That was me for four years. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that kind of, we, we put together the theory that, all right, now we know why that might be happening, you know? Yeah. And uh, well, why did God allow me to drink toxic water for four years? Mm -hmm. Why did he allow that surgeon to make that error that changed the trajectory of my physical health. Uh, we didn't sue the doctor, even though we knew he made a mistake. Uh, that's just, it wasn't going to make it better. And so we hope, we've heard since then that he is very respected, so he doesn't Apparently, he learned <laughs> and doesn't make that same mistake again. So, anyway, I just wanted to share you why, if you see me glowing in the dark, it was Camp Lejeune. <laughs> so, for those who are sitting out there today, and maybe they're in the midst of some trials or some tests right now, what... Just quickly, what is the first thing that kind of comes to your mind to help help them to stay faithful to Jesus? Stay in the Word. Keep reading Scripture. Um, I can't explain it. I wish I could. But um, that is where the Holy Spirit does things. Um, it's going to look different for you than it did for me, but it it'll it just makes you understand. It gives you a different perspective on why you're going through what you're going through and how you know um, all things work together for good 
for those that love the Lord. I have a funny story about that scripture. The gentleman who came into our home the evening that we found out Andy was killed, um, he walked right in my kitchen and he said, for all things work together for good for those that love the Lord. Mind you, this man was probably in his 70s or 80s. I wanted to punch him so bad. I'm like, I don't know how you can even think about something being good enough for me to have to go through this. I'm sorry. I'm not buying it. And he made me so, so mad. I never said anything to him about it, but it just sat right there in my gut. Um, What's funny is that years later, as I sit and I think about that scripture for all, God does all kinds of good stuff. If you just keep your eye on him, and now I can look back and I can see I'm, I'm a much better person. I'm, I've got one foot here on earth, but I've got one foot in heaven now. Um, I'm not nearly as worried about going there, and I'm not nearly as worried about staying here. Mm. I win um, because all things work together for good. We both want to be the first one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be left alone. <laughs> I, have, I have so much more compassion for people that I don't know because you just don't know what other people are carrying with them. I mean, when Andy first died, I felt like I had this huge elephant on my shoulders that nobody could see but me, and it was so heavy. And yet, you know, that gave me a huge appreciation for others when I don't know what they're dealing with. Um, And the funniest part is, if God had not made me so mad about that scripture, I'd have never remembered it. So he does work all things together for good for those that love the Lord, even when you're mad. You know, that was pretty, that was a big deal. And, and it helps. It, it, it's immense help to know that people are praying for you. Um, and we did talk to some people who had been through the loss of a child and ask them some questions that they were uh, very open about. And uh, I can't even explain, by all rights, I shouldn't even be able to to walk right now. And and I should be in extreme pain. But I, I attribute that to the prayers of Berlin Christian Church. Cheryl started coming here, and you all started praying, and Warren came by and visited a couple of times and probably thought I was a goner, uh, because at one point I was even on fentanyl to where I, you know, I just, I, I wanted to die. I wanted to escape that pain. Uh, God didn't have that in mind at this time but so yeah if you find yourself through the trial seek out people that have been there before and and ask for prayer because prayer does a lot so okay um i don't don't think that you need to have like maybe as traumatic of trial as what we've had i mean pain is pain is pain you know, it doesn't matter what kind it is. It comes from the same source. You know, the world is broken. Satan broke it, and it's going to stay that way until Jesus returns. But that's what makes 
it's so great that Jesus came and fixed it. It's just a matter of time before he comes and redeems it. Um, so, you know, if you're disappointed with the way your life is, if it's a broken relationship, if it's, it doesn't really matter what kind of pain it is. It's still, it's, you have to figure out what it is that God is doing. Um, so people, when you see someone that's struggling in our group, in our, anywhere in life, reach out to them. You don't have to have the right words. You don't have to have anything. But just being there, offering them prayer and comfort and companionship, walking with them as they're walking through, that's all you have to do. It's just God uses all that stuff that you think is minuscule, but it's mighty. It's mighty. And don't be afraid of the trials that are going to come because all of us are going to have them, but don't be afraid of them because I have learned that God is He'll give you what you need when you need it. If you just keep your eye on him. He's never early because if he's early, then you might become prideful and think, oh, that was me. I figured Mm. that out ahead of time. But he's never late so that you feel abandoned. He's always spot on, right on time. I don't know how he does that, but he does. And you can always call us. Yeah, and you can also check out with Mike and Karen Patterson came to see us and brought us these amazing movies called The Trinity. Uh, oh man, they're really fun. So, if all else fails, watch the Trinity Cowboy movies. <laughs> well, thank you guys so much. Please give them a round of applause for their honesty and vulnerability. Jesus strengthens us through other faithful followers. And my hope and prayer is that by hearing their story, you would be strengthened by it. But I think it's a challenge for all of us that we be more connected than we are disconnected. We live in a world that's so connected through the internet, but we're so disconnected when it comes to our personal relationships. And so my challenge is I want to challenge you to share your story with someone. We're going to do something really awkward right here. I want you, don't make any awkward faces at at each other. I want you to do a 360 around the room quickly. Just do a quick 360. Do it while I'm, I'm turning backwards. All right. I want you to think one person, out of all those people, who's one person that I can share my story with? Because your story might invigorate or inspire their faith. And the other challenge I want you to think about is out of all those people, who's one person whose story you need to learn? Because maybe you haven't talked to them or, or maybe you know they've gone through something that could help you. Jesus strengthens us through other faithful followers. He did it for Paul and he'll do it for us as well. We have one last lesson we learned from trials. It's that in the midst of our trials, Jesus is our strength. If you have your Bibles open still, verses 11 through 13, just a powerful prayer that Paul prays. It's a prayer, but it's also a blessing. He says this, he says, now may God our Father, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts 
so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus Christ comes with all his holy ones. Jesus is coming back. And until he does, when we are in this middle section, Jesus is the one who strengthens us. Jesus is the one who makes us holy. Jesus is the one who makes us blameless. But what happens when we fail? What happens when we aren't faithful in the midst of those tests and trials? It's inevitable. In fact, I want us to remember this. It's not a very positive thing. But the main idea of this sermon is it's impossible to remain faithful to Jesus by our own strength. It is impossible to remain faithful to Jesus by our own strength. The good news, though, is that we don't have to. Because Jesus gives us other faithful followers, and he gives us himself. While we will fail our tests and trials, Jesus remained faithful to his. He faced every temptation and trial we did, and yet he never sinned. And because of that, because we have a faithful God, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Romans chapter 8, we looked at 5 earlier, the Apostle Paul is reflecting on the faithfulness of God and how he loves us so much. And so Romans chapter 8, verse 35, he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble... That's the same word as trial in our text. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, shall any of these these things separate us from the love that is in Christ Jesus our Lord? And then he says, I am convinced that nothing in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yes, we have failed in our trials, and yes, we will fail in some of our trials, but we have a God who, is ne- who never fails, and who promises to strengthen us. First Thessalonians concludes, the whole book concludes in chapter 5 with these two verses. They're like the prayer that we see in our chapter. The Apostle Paul finishes First Thessalonians reminding us that Jesus is our strength. He says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful. He will do it. It is impossible for us to remain faithful to Jesus by our own strength, but we don't have to because Jesus is our strength. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you, and we thank you that you are always faithful, and you are gracious to us in the midst of our failures. Lord, I thank you for Mike and Cheryl's vulnerability to share their story, and I just pray that you would help us to be encouraged, and also that we would have the courage to share our story with other people and walk in this journey with you together. You are so good to us, Father, so help us to live our lives in the midst of the tests and trials, trusting you, knowing that you are doing something good. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.